last week, uh, for some of you that may not know, there was this, uh, there was a football game last week, and um, it was not one of these fruity bowls or flowery bowls, but it was called the Super Bowl, and um, I never considered it as being something spiritual, but I came across this, and see for yourself, this is from Daniel chapter 8, verse 7. <laughs> You know, it's scripture. The goat charged furiously at the what? The ram and struck him, breaking off both his horns. Oh, yes. Now the ram was what? Helpless. And the goat knocked him down and trampled him. No one could what? Rescue the ram from the what? And the goat is here, right here. Let's see him. Let's see the goat. There he is. (laughs) Greatest of all time, the goat. And then, to assure me that it's something of God, I came across this. It looks into the future. It's a future prophecy. Look at that. (laughs) Only Redskin fans would understand that Robert Griffin V reference. So, for you that think football is not spiritual stuff, (laughs) well, we're continuing a series called The Thinker, and each week I've said that it's a series that has attempted to take a different route in that we ask ourselves, what if we set the Bible aside, at least initially, and we just use pure powers of observation and reasoning and logic and consider the realities of the universe and life and, and see where those thoughts would lead us and then compare it to what we find in Scripture. And I'm going to take a really quick review of what we have gone through each message. So if my screen could help me say the first message dealt with this. If there is a God, and or, it should be, is there a God? We'll, we'll correct that next service. They'll like it much better. Is there a God? And if so, what kind of a being would this God be? And we found in that first message, and if you didn't see it, I urge you to go online and see it. We found that just by using the powers of observation and reason, we not only found compelling evidence to believe that there is a God, a creator God, but also that that creator God is like Christ. We found that from just looking at two verses in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. What was really wild was that God showed that in those verses, without a Bible at all, just by observing creation carefully, we would find not only that God is there, but that he is a God who is like Christ in person. So that was the first message. Second message, we went to this. What kind of things would such a being likely do? And what we found out is this, that it would just make common sense for this being like us to make careful plans before he went to create or build anything. We found that God made comprehensive plans, plans right down through eternity before he ever created anything, before he spoke anything into existence. Third message, we found this. Why would such a being reveal themselves, and what means are they likely to use? Well, we found that because this being is loving in nature, good in nature, it would make sense for him to reveal himself to those he creates, but he would do so in a way that would never infringe upon our freedom. Therefore, he restrains and restricts himself, in our case today, to a singular book so that the the door is on our side, the lock on the door is on our side. He doesn't push himself uh, upon us in any way. The next message we asked this, why would seeking 
such a being be the most important thing in life. And we found that, again, just using you know, observation and reason, that, well, there's no one quite like him. He is singular in his worth. He can influence all of our lives more than anyone else. And we found that we are very needy people. We have lots of needs that only this being would be able to fully and completely meet those needs. And then we come to here. The question for today. What would such a being want from us? Now, I'm going to say something, and it might sound a bit, you know, uh, a bit arrogant, or it might sound a bit uh, promising, like I'm promising too much, but I'm just going to say it because I know it's true. This message for some of us here today, if if we have a heart to listen, if we have a, a humble, teachable enough heart, if we are willing to let some truth in that might frankly make us feel like we're a little bit jolted. For some of us, for some of us in this room, there's no doubt in my mind, this could be an absolutely life-changing message. Completely change the quality of your life. Completely change your spiritual experience, your level of spiritual development, your pacing of spiritual development, and more. So I just want to throw that out there. Now, here's the thing. What would such a being, this creator being, what would such a being want from us? The way that you and I answer that question will pretty clearly depict the kind of being that we really believe God is. I want to say it again. Our answer to that question, what does this being want from us? Our answer to that question will will clearly depict the kind of being we really think God is. We might say we think God is one way, but our answer to what does he want from us will show what we deep inside on the core level really believe what kind of a being he really is. And as I said, the answer to that question, it's so big. It affects us in so many ways that we might not ever be aware of, but I hope this morning uh, we will be aware of it on a much higher level. and, And I just know God wants to to do some really, really significant things in some of our lives today. So I'm going to just suggest there's two possible answers to this. What kind of a response would this being want from us? First of all, maybe he wants a religiously appropriate response. When you look at the answers, when we observe humanity, there's millions. No, let me rephrase that. There's billions of people whose answer, what does this being want from us? Their answer is, he wants a religiously appropriate response from us. Let me give you an example on screen. This is uh, the the Kuma Mela ritual in India. Uh, It happens once a year where literally about 120 million Hindus will plunge themselves into the three rivers where the three rivers join together. Uh, It's the Ganges, the Yamana, and the Sarasati River. They believe that when some Hindu gods and goddesses and demons were fighting at one point in past history, they dropped some nectar in the area of these rivers, and that nectar can give immortality. By the way, these guys with these tridents and swords, um, if you happen to be at the ritual, you don't want to go in the river where they are at because although they carry swords and tridents, they don't carry clothing. They're naked. Uh, these are the guys you want to be beside, this next group of Hindus. If I could, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're safe to get beside when you go into the rivers. But here's what they believe. 
They believe that by going into the river at this key part of the year, that it washes away their sins. And, and maybe that's why those other guys go naked. Maybe they want everything washed away. I don't know. But, but they believe it washes away their sins and it somehow gives them salvation, whatever that means in Hinduism. Because you know and I know the Hinduism, you just keep repeating. Man, if you don't get it right the first time, you go a second time. You don't get it right the second time, you go a third time. You may come back as a bug or, or you know, a, a mosquito or you could be a deer, but you keep coming back. So I'm not sure what the salvation thing is other than nothingness, nirvana. But anyhow... That's what they believe. Now, folks, let's just think for one minute. How can plunging yourself in a river wash away your sins? Let's ask a better question. What, did, what would it mean experientially to wash away one's sins? Wouldn't it mean that something is occurring inside of a person that causes them to stop sinning, to stop living in contradiction to our design, to say no to things we used to say yes to and start saying yes to things that we should have said yes to before. So they are saying this river is going to cause this dramatic internal mental change that causes one to put sin out of their life. And you know and I know if that were true, if that worked, I'm going to the river. How about you? If I could get rid of all my struggles with sin, I'm going to the river. Wouldn't that be a breeze? But you know, and I know, that's utterly irrational and ridiculous. And yet, there's about a billion Hindus that buy into this. By the way, the Hindus have 330 million gods and goddesses that they worship. Okay, let's look at another, another ritual. This is the Hajj in Mecca. It comes to the last month of the year in the Muslim calendar. And uh, about 3 million Muslims will pour into Mecca uh, during this time, and, and, it, and it's an amazing visual thing to watch. They, they swirl around the cob, and, and they just want to get a glimpse. They want to get close to that building, and if you get close enough to the building on one side, there's this little place where these stones are visible, and these stones are actually from a meteorite that fell, and they get to this stone, and they kiss it. They've kissed this thing so many times, and so many pilgrims have kissed it, that it's kind of worn it down. But they, too, believe that this is one of the five pillars of Islam, that you just have to do this if Allah's going to say, welcome home. And so here again, it's like, but why? Why does Allah want us to do this? By the way, uh, last year, 700 people were trampled to death. And they have a history back in 1990, 94, 96, 98, 2000, 2006, thousands of people get trampled. It is regular to get trampled. When you go to the Hajj, the Hajj might be your final uh, act as a Muslim. But what is the purpose of this? It, it makes no earthly sense other than Allah said, do it, so you better do it. And that's religion. Those two religions that I've just uh, shared with you between Hinduism and Islam, you've got over 2 billion people. There's about 7 billion of us on the planet. There's a large sector of people that are overtly religious. And they do religious things with deep sincerity, with great devoutness. They do these religious things. So, it kind of begs the question, well, Randy, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? I mean, how, how does religion view God? What is the view of religion on God? Religion views God as one who primarily wants our utmost what? Respect. Respect. And who wants to bring us under his what? Control. Control. 
All religion, I don't care what name, all religion consists of the same things. It is deeply fear-oriented. You must have fear of the deity. You must respect the deity. And you must do what the deity says. That's it. Appease the deity. Get the deity off your back if you can. And get the deity on your side if you can. All religion is the same. It is the same. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you think, but, but what, what about Christianity? It's a religion. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The Bible does not teach a religion. What the Bible teaches is the one singular way that life can possibly work. What the Bible teaches is a revelation from the creator of saying, because I created you in this universe, this is the only way that life works in the universe that I've created. Will you trust me? Will you enter into life with me? A life that can exist for eternity. The only kind of life that can exist for eternity. It is not a religion. Religion consists of three things. Here we go. First, rules. They can be any kind of rules. Go to the hodge, walk around the stone, get trampled if you need to risk it. Because Allah says so. Rules, arbitrary rules. By the way, the word arbitrary just means you're making some rules up because you can. They, there's no necessity. There's no reason for them. The reason this came to me is I was having a conversation with somebody recently, and I, I've been using the word arbitrary for years and years and years, maybe decades, and then realized this person didn't know what arbitrary meant. So that's why I'm clarifying that. But all religion has got rules. And they're not necessarily rational at all when you examine them. I mean, why, why go around the house? Why risk getting trampled? What, 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 what's that about? What rational reason for that? If this God is intelligent, give me something. All right, the second thing that religion consists of is rituals. There you go. Dunk yourself into the river, the junction of the three rivers. Um, walk around the cob, you know, get involved in the hajj. But there's lots and lots and lots of other rituals. But all religion, it has rules, it has rituals, and then it has this third component, reciprocity. I'm going to do this for you, deity, and now deity, you owe me. You've got to do this for me. I'm only doing this for you because I'm kind of afraid of you, and you have an awful lot of power, and I really want to get you where you're not a threat to me, but where, if possible, you are an advantage to me. Essentially, all religion wants to use the deity and just figure out the formula. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to get what I want out of you? I just want to live my life in peace, and if I can get an edge from you, I want an edge. So, what, so I, I expect some reciprocity. I'm not doing this because I like you. I'm not doing this because I trust you. I'm not doing this because I love you. I am doing this because you're there, you're big, you're bad, you're powerful. You can bless me or curse me, and so I'm going to follow your rules. I don't, I don't care if they make any sense or not. Whatever you say, I'm going to do, and I'm going to follow your rituals, even though they may seem ridiculous, and I may risk being trampled in the ritual, but I expect something back from you. Uh, there's got to be some reciprocity in this thing. You've you got to dangle a decent carrot in front of me. You've you got to give me a little something if I'm going to do this. All religion consists of this. Now, is the being, the being that we met in message one, the, the being that we found that by just observing the things that this being has created, primarily ourselves, 
we found that by examining deeply human nature, we concluded that this being, this creator, would not only be personal but not this, and not only powerful, but this being would have to be a being that's the best of the best, better than the best human, kinder than the kindest human, more loving than the most loving human, more sacrificial than the most sacrificially loving human being. We, we deduced that this this being, this creator, would have to be Christ-like before we ever had a full revelation of Christ in Scripture. So we can ask the question, would a beautiful, rational, intelligent, purposeful being like that be pleased with mindless, fear-driven, mercenary-motive-driven religion? Remember, mercenary, reciprocity. You do it for me, I'll do it for you. I'm not going to do it unless you're going to do something for me. It's not because I believe in it. It's not because I think it's right. It's, not, it, it's just I'm going to do it if you do something for me. And I'm a little bit afraid of you anyhow. That's religion. Bless me because I'm afraid of being cursed by you. Would that be satisfactory to this intelligent, loving, beautiful being that we have deduced? Just by using that reason, not to mention the one that's revealed in Scripture and perfectly revealed in the life of Jesus and the sacrificial death of Jesus. Does that kind of irrational religion, would that please, would that please a being like that? Could it, could it possibly please a being like that? You know and I know the answer is impossible. And it then tells us that the 330 million gods and goddesses of Hinduism and Allah, the monster god, the most vicious, brutal god in the universe, that these are false gods. They are not worthy of our attention. They are not worthy of any human's respect. So what evidence do we have now? Let's see if Scripture supports this notion that religion, religion can never please God. Let me go further. Because of the nature of God, it is impossible, impossible that religious people could ever please him. Now, I'm going to develop this further because I know some of you think, hey, man, we're here in church. I go to church every Sunday. Doesn't that make me religious? It does in the way that some people define being religious, but that's not that's not what I hope is your real reason for being here. You see, there can be all kinds of reasons for people being here on a Sunday, right? I mean, let's be honest. Some of us are here under coercion. You know, somebody said, you will go to church with me. Doggone it, I'm not going to sit there by myself. And so that's why we're here. Some of us are here because I want to meet some new people. I'm an extrovert. Hi, what's your name? I want to meet you. Some of us are here looking for a woman, looking for a man. Let's be honest. Some of us are here networking, man. We want to make some business connections, you know. Some of us are here doing religion. You see me, God, I'm doing my duty. So I can breathe easy. You, you should be kind of on my side. Now, I'm doing this for you. You got to do a little something for me. I might not be paying attention, but you see I'm here. doesn't matter if I'm paying attention. You know, I might be thinking about my ham sandwich later today, but <laughs> you see me. I'm doing the deal. Ritual rules, regulations, reciprocity. Now let's see the reaction of the real God who's revealed himself through Scripture. Listen to this passage. Kind of long, so, so be patient with me. This is God talking to his people who were religious in the Old Testament, but religious only. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? 
this trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless what? I cannot bear your worthless what? Assemblies. Oh, man. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I do what? Whoa. Even when you offer many prayers, I am what? Not listening. Wash and make yourselves what? Who's got to do the washing? Wash yourselves. Take your, what kind of deeds? Evil deeds out of my sight. Stop what? Is, is, this, is this rational? Is this rational communication? Is this what a, what a rational deity would want? Not the ritual, not the assembly, but to get your life aligned intelligently with the way I've designed life. It goes on. Learn. We, we don't always know. It's a process. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead, plead the case of the widow. And then the last one. I love it. Check this out. Come now and let us what? Reason together. The real God says, come on, come on, let's talk. Come on, let's think. Don't, don't, don't be a robot. Don't, don't, be, don't be just foolishly driven by religious fear. I, I'm a thinking being. Come on, come on. You, you can ask me questions. It's okay. Let's reason together. Let's look at life together. Let's see what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, now all this symbolic talk, man, how are you going to make sins like, you know, like, like snow and like wool and all this? Well, how are sins cleansed? Remember, the Hindus think you jump in that river and your sins get cleansed. But you know, and I know, that's irrational, foolish behavior. Sins get cleansed when we do what those earlier verses said. We stop doing wrong. We, we go to God and we say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, let's think through this. Why is it you want me to do that? What's behind it? Oh, 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 oh now I realize. Let, let, let me give you a little silly example. You, you Bear with me. You've seen me do this before. If everybody in the world, this is how you can tell, by the way. You, you want a little discernment tool? This is how you can tell when something is sin or not or when something is righteous or right. If everybody in the world is doing something and the world would be a much better place, it's clearly rationally right. If everybody in the world doing something would make the world a much worse place, it is clearly rationally wrong. Let's test it. I'm going to blink my eyes. I'd snap my fingers, but I can't. My old arthritic thumbs won't snap anymore. Uh, But let's say I could snap them. And instantly, everybody in the world tells nothing but lies all the time. Everything that comes out of everybody's mouth is a lie all the time, everywhere, everyone. You tell me, is the world a better place or worse? Worse place. Couldn't be more obvious. I'm going to snap. If I could, I'd snap them again. And now everybody's going to tell the truth all the time, everyone, everywhere, all the time. Is the world a better place? Is Is that clear? Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. He he wants us to question with the right attitude. And he wants us to think, to think. He wants us to exercise these senses, these moral senses and capacities that he's given to us that makes us a unique species that can experience life on the same level that he himself can experience it. He does not want mindless, fear-driven, religious behavior. 
He says, come on, it's personal, I'm real, let's talk, let's think. Treat me like I'm a sensible person, says the Lord. So, we can see that a religious response, even if it's an appropriate religious response, could never, ever be acceptable to an intelligent, loving, Christ-like creative being. So, maybe the answer is this, that what he really wants is a relationally authentic response. A relationally authentic response. And here's what I mean by that. Relationship views God as one who primarily wants our what? Our trust and wants to lead us into the very what? Best life possible. Now, now let that soak in for a minute. Now I'm going to show you that other one, what religion wants. So relationship views, how do we see God? Remember I said at the beginning, by our answer as to what this being wants from us, we will give a clear picture of the kind of being we really believe this being is. Relationship views God as one who primarily wants our trust and wants to lead us into the very best life possible. All rational, all good, all sensible, understandable. Contrast that with religion. Religion views God as one who primarily wants our utmost respect or fear and who wants to bring us under control. You know, he can use force. He can use fear. It's just about control. By the way, Islam, uh, our lying media says that Islam, the word, uh, means peace. It does not mean peace. It means submission. Islam means submission. To be a Muslim is one who submits, of course, to Allah. So, can you see this contrast between the way religion views God as one who just wants reverence, fear, respect? And I know some of you are thinking, but Randy, what about those Old Testament passages that say, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The word that is used there in the Old Testament is talking about utmost concern and reverence for God. It is not talking about being afraid of Him. If you are afraid of God, you're never going to have an authentic relationship with God I'm going to ask you a question some of you go back in your past I had dudes like this I had dudes that I hung out with and I liked them and we did our time together this is my pre-Christian days but there were some of them I was afraid of them I never really knew never really knew when they were going to kind of turn when they were going to kind of take a violent turn on you. You know, you, you were a little bit afraid of them. And I deep inside, I hung out with them, but I never really liked them. You know what I'm saying? When you're afraid of somebody, how many of you know that when you're afraid of somebody, you really can't like them very much, and you have a very hard time loving them? How many would agree with that statement if you're afraid of somebody? You know, you got these people in your life, you know, you're having a nice day, nice conversation, and all of a sudden you hit one of those trip wires, and they go ballistic on you, you know, it, it, it's hard. I'm not saying you can't love somebody you're afraid of, because if you have Christ in your life, we have the capacity to love everyone, even our enemies, it says. But, but fear in a relationship is a contaminant, it's a pollutant, it, it takes the, the vitality out of the relationship. So... Above all, God does not want human beings to be afraid of him. 1 John 4, 18, it says, perfect love. God's perfect love is meant to cast out fear. I want you to just answer this question for yourself right now. 
Are you a little bit afraid of God? And does fear play a part in your motivation toward God? You say, Randy, no, I'm not afraid of God. What, 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 what about something like this? What about, well, I don't really want to tithe. By the way, for you to know tithe, it's not a detergent. It's giving 10% of your income. It was prescribed by God in the Old Testament, you know, to teach us how to be generous. You can't learn to be generous unless you give. There's no other way of learning it. Anyway, but, 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 but just play, play with me a little bit on this mindset. So, you know, ah, whew, 10% hurts, man. I don't, I don't want to do this, but I don't, I, I, I don't want to risk not having God's blessing. So I'm going to do it. I'm not saying that's you, but that's fear. That's fear. That's not the right motive to give. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes we don't have to step past our comfort zones in trusting God. Absolutely. That's usually always true. But there is a difference between that reciprocity notion. Oh, I'm going to do this because I'm afraid. Ah, I better get on in church today because, you know, boy, don't want the man upstairs mad with me, you know, disappointing with me. That's fear. That's poison. That's not relationship. So what does relationship consist of? Relationship consists first of attraction. I, 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 my mind sometimes hurts when I think about what churches and guys like me have done to the image of God. We, we, we have depicted God as this big, angry, mysterious, oh, you never can lose the awe of God. He's mysterious. You can never know his ways. We have made him into this being that, of course, people are afraid of. Of course. Of course, people feel like they can never understand him. We've done a job. Oh, he's mysterious. Oh, tremble in the presence of the Almighty. Here's the God's honest truth, folks. The real God, the real God has done everything in his power to completely, comprehensively reveal himself to us. Not mysterious at all. He does not want us to think that he's mysterious at all. He has done all that he can, even to the point of hanging on a cross to show, I love you. I am, you're, you're the, at your safest when you're with me. You can relax with me. No one is a better friend to you than me. No one cares more about you than me. No one understands you better. No one wants what's best for you more than I do. You are safe with me. Relax. Because he knows until we feel safe, we'll never have an authentic relationship with him. We don't like the people that we are afraid of. We may tolerate them. We may use them. But we don't like them. So, attraction. We should be depicting how beautiful God is as he's revealed himself in Christ. We need to talk more to our people in churches about what God is like as opposed to what heaven is like and what hell is like. We, we have switched the focus on people unknowingly and done a great disservice. And so some of the people that are in church world for many years, they do fear God because they think they're supposed to. Dumbos like me have, have taught that you're supposed to fear God. Now, I, I, I am taught this stuff, but I'm just kind of throwing myself in there because I can be as dumb as any of them, believe me. But the first thing in a relationship is attraction. You, you, you enter into a relationship with somebody because something about them is attracted to you. Wow, you're, you're, you're nice, man. You're, you're funny. I like, 
I like you, you know. It, it's normal attraction. So it should be. That's what God wants. He wants us to look at him, examine his personality, examine both his power and his character, and he wants people that want him. Is that so doggone mysterious? I don't want anybody that doesn't want me. You don't want anybody that doesn't want you. Why in the world would God want anybody that doesn't want him? Attraction is the first part. We have people that want to go to heaven, but they don't even like Jesus. We have people that want to go to heaven, but they don't like Jesus, and they don't want to be like Jesus. They just want to go to heaven. That's deception. So the first part of real relationship, it consists of attraction. The second part is this, allegiance. Now, I take that step where I say, you know, I'm attracted to you. I like what I see. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to put my trust in you. God wants authentic trust He wants us to know we're safe. He comes offering arms wide open. Forgiveness is yours. Don't be afraid. Eternal life is yours. If you're willing to step on the path of life with me, I want you to. So it's all free. No reason to be afraid. And he waits for our trust. He waits for us to give our allegiance freely to him. Not out of fear. Not out of some reciprocity bargain. But because he's won our confidence, he's won our trust. Third portion portion of a relationship, it consists of alignment. It's it's where I look at God and I look at his ways and I examine his ways and I examine his will. It's all all in his word. And I say, you know what? I, I like everything about your view of life. I love this stuff you say. You tell us to be gentle, I love it. You tell us to be kind, I love I, I wish the whole world was kind. You tell us to be forgiving, I'm all about it. I want to be forgiving. I want the whole world to be forgiving. I love your philosophy of life, God. I am, I am fully aligned with you. It's, it's just something that's clicking. This is what a relationship consists of, the kind of relationship that the real creator wants with us. It's one where there's attraction, allegiance, and alignment. Let's look at some scripture now to see if there's any support for this. Hebrews 11, 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. Can't walk with him. Can't have a relationship with him without faith. Another version, the the complete Jewish Bible says this way, without trusting, the word for faith, it means to trust God. Without trusting, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to God. God wants first and foremost our attraction to him, that we see what we like, and then he waits for our allegiance, our trust in him. Look at another verse. Deuteronomy 5, 29, one that changed my life in my second year of being a Christ follower. He says, Here's God. He's speaking very vulnerably. He says, I wish their hearts would always respect me and that they would always obey my commands. Why? Why do you want us to always obey? So that you can just have control over us? No. So that things would what? Go well with them. He wants our happiness. We want it, but we don't know how to get it. He knows what it takes. The things would go well with them and with their children forever. Here again, you have allegiance. So you have attraction, you have allegiance. And then finally this. Micah 6, 8. The Lord has told you what is good. He's told you what he wants from you. Do what is right to other people. Love being kind to others. And live humbly doing what? Trusting Trusting your God. Here we have alignment. 
He's saying, you want to know what my philosophy of life is? Here it is. You know what I want out of you? It's simple. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. No rituals, no rules, you know, no reciprocity. You either like me or you don't. You either embrace my way of life or you don't. Yes, there's benefits to doing it this way. It's the only way life will work. Yes, it leads to eternal life because you can't have beings sustaining eternal life and relationships with himself unless all the beings have embraced this kind of a life. But it's not this carrot thing that we've presented it to be. So what would such a being want from us? Would he want a religiously appropriate response or a relationally authentic response? An authentic relational response, it starts with, you know, I like you, God. And I like you, God, because I've seen what you're like in Jesus. And I like you so much, Jesus. I just want to be like you. I want to be like you. More, I trust you. You have absolutely conquered all the fear barriers inside me. And you've won my trust. When you hung on a cross to demonstrate your sacrificial love for me and your restraint of power that all your almighty power is restrained and governed by your love, you won my confidence, you won my trust. Didn't matter how many lies Satan has spilled out about you through the ages, I now know who you really are and I trust you. And then when I started seeing the way you want life to be lived, oh my goodness, I'm I'm so in alignment from my heart, from my core. I, I want all of life to function on the philosophical level that you have designed it to function. That's the only kind of relationship that could ever be satisfying to a being who is just like you and I, who has mind, reason, and emotions, and will. And God is just like you and I, only he's wholly other than us. He's us at the best conceivable possible level that we can imagine. I said at the beginning, this message might be a critical juncture for some of you here's what i know after so many years being around people interacting with them whose motives are kind and good and positive we we all get tangled up we all get mixed up and our tendency our tendency is to do religion and to view god religiously and not to do relationship and view god relationally and some of us have logged a lot of years doing religion And you have a tough decision to make today. You've got to be willing to say, I've logged a lot of years doing this thing wrong. I've logged a lot of years with no real relationship with God. It's not that I didn't respect him. I certainly did. I I actually feared him. I never thought of it that way, maybe, but I, I feared him. And I actually, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to do what he said. I wanted to keep his rules, man. I just wanted to stay on his good side. I, I did every ritual that I thought he wanted me to do. I don't know why he wanted me to do it, but I, it didn't matter. I, he's the man. I'm, he has power. And, and I was just hoping for some reciprocity. Your whole life could be explained by that. You're, you're, you're working a bargain. You're working a deal. And it's going to be hard for you to admit that today because you've been calling yourself, some of you, a Christian, a Christ follower for a long time. And the truth is, you've just been doing what we do as human beings. You've been trying to save your own skin. We are driven by fear, folks, self-preservation and self-gratification. Apart from feeling safe with our Creator is what drives us. 
And some of you, you got a hard decision to make because, listen, you'll never grow, you'll never develop, you'll never become the Christ-like person that you are meant to become. You'll never reach your full redemptive potential in Christ. It is impossible as long as fear and religion is the way you are responding to God. You think that's what he wants from you. you. You'll never understand it. You'll always be guessing. You'll always be a little confused, a little insecure. And your character will remain very unchristlike. It's impossible for it to be otherwise. Impossible. So some of you have a hard decision to make this morning. But man, it's clear and it's right. And some of us maybe this morning, for the first time, we want to understand a bit more. Let me share one last verse with you about how, how, do you, how do you move in this relationship? How do you mature? How do you develop? Listen to this from Hebrews 5.14. It says, solid food is for the full-grown men or the mature, for those whose senses and mental faculties, senses, moral senses, conscience, imagination, reasoning faculties, senses and mental faculties are trained by what? practice you have to use them to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to divine or human law it's saying that unless we exercise our thinking capacities learn to reverently humbly question god and say god i know you're telling us to do this but but why enlighten me show me your heart on this why why do you want all the world to be like this i want to go deeper i just want to know you i want to understand you listen how many of you know that a relationship it's all about trying to understand the other person so that you can stand the other person And to be serious, it's trying to understand the person, to bless them and respond to them appropriately. There's no set of rules. You might have to say or do one thing one time and something completely different in the same situation because you know that they're in a different mental state or facing a different set of circumstances. So relationships cause us to have to be thinking, using these senses, these faculties, this God-enlightened reasoning faculty. And that's what we're meant to do with God. That's why God said in Isaiah 118, come now, let us, how many of you remember, what did he say? Let us do what? Reason together. And God's inviting all of us this morning. You want to grow? You really want to grow? You're sick of uh, memorizing Bible verses and not growing? You're sick of knowing all the theology in the Bible and not growing, not being one bit more like Jesus? Are you sick of serving until you're, you know, you're wearing yourself out? And I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. I'm just saying they don't necessarily lead to growth. They can if the relational foundation is there. But if the relational foundation is there, they're just a bunch of dead religious works and they don't change us at all. Fact of the matter is they tend to make us worse. We get mean-spirited like the Pharisees. Some of you know just what I mean. So, we all have this opportunity. We can enter in for the first time, some of us, into a real trusting relationship with Christ, our Creator. And for you, you need to know His arms are open wide. He says, your sins are forgiven you. I'm giving you the gift of eternal life. Come on, come on, let me show you the way life works. Just trust me. Just follow me. Just just learn. Let's, Let's do life together. Others of us, he's saying, come on, we can take this thing deeper. It's relational. We know how to relate to people. We know what, you know what you want out of somebody. You don't want somebody around you just because you're going to pay them to be around you. You don't want somebody around you just because you're, 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 they're making you terrified not to be around you. You don't want that. We understand how relationships want. So some of us, we just need to switch gears a little bit from religiously 
uh, acting before God to authentically relating with God. So, we've got a lot to think about, and we've got a great opportunity. So I hope the Spirit of God is just really, really working uh, deeply in all of your hearts as He is in mine. So let's pray. We thank you, our God. We thank you for your heart, the truth about you, the truth about life, that you are a rational, beautiful, worthy being to be trusted, to be loved, to be served. Uh, Surely your goodness and mercy follows us truly all the days of our life when we know it and when we don't know it. And I pray that you'll just take the confusion and in some of our cases the pride from our hearts and eyes and help us to go from religion to relationship this day. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.